0: to the Coaches Rising podcast. I hope you are well. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Charles Eisenstein. Charles is a brilliant writer and sense maker in a way of our times. So today, we're gonna talk about the times we find ourselves in. How can we orient towards this passage, this collective passage and the individual passage of dissolution, of uncertainty, of grief, And we'll talk about how it's going to confound many of our typical ways that we might try to solve our predicaments. We'll talk about reverence and how can we see people in a way that recognizes their divine humanity. And we'll talk about non-linear change. How might we hold change instead and what that allows for in our day-to-day lives. A few more words about Charles. Charles is a, a potent voice in articulating the landscape of our times. You can find out a lot of his views, his teachings, his essays online at his website, charleseisenstein.org. He's the author of several books, including The Coronation, The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know Is Possible, and Sacred Economics. All right, and let's dive in. Here's the podcast with Charles Eisenstein. Charles, it's so good to be with you today. How are you doing in this moment? I'm, I'm doing doing quite well. Yeah, thank you. Good. Um, uh, just whereabouts are you in the world right now? Just Rhode Island? I'm at home in Rhode Island. yeah, nice. um yeah, so actually, um I really am excited to to speak to you today. and uh, for me, you've been one of these thought leaders or uh, philosophers who I've just really uh, been inspired by and uh, for me, is somebody's making sense of what's happening in the world right now. And so we're gonna Talk all about that today, and I have no clue where we're going to end up. but uh, I think I just want to ask you in the beginning about how are you making sense of where we're at in the world right now? I know um, you know, some people, and I think yourself have talked about one story is ending, uh, perhaps a new story is emerging. So if we start really broad, yeah, just I know it's a huge question, so we could spend an hour on that question easily
1: yeah yeah, I mean, that's certainly one way that I've that I've been looking at it, uh the the transition between the, our stories. I know that you know, as a coach and in this world, people are quite familiar with the idea of the story that you're telling about maybe about yourself, about your life, about the world. and and these stories are not only personal, but they're also collective. And wh- when they are collective, you might even call them, mythologies, not just stories, because they answer the deep questions that human beings ask. Our personal stories draw on the collective mythologies. They're they're related. Uh, And when the collective mythologies break down, as they are today, it means also that the personal stories that draw from those mythologies can also break down. And also the systems that are built on the stories uh, can break down as well. So that is one way that I'm making sense of the world right now, uh, that we're in a time of turbulence. Not only the turbulence that comes from, from the disruptions in our political economic systems, our ecological basis of life, all of that, yes, but also a kind of a cognitive turbulence this sense of of disorientation, um, not knowing what the future is going to bring, sense of uncertainty. Uh, Of course, you know, life is always uncertain. Uh, We've never actually had certainty. But the illusion of predictability has been with us for a long time. And now that is no longer, no longer the case. And... Um, that breakdown comes with a kind of a, a of a perverse hope in excitement. you know when when you've been trapped in a story, then you kind of crave liberation from it, to the extent that some people will self-sabotage uh, because they want to get out. Uh, and And so there's to some extent, you know, when people look at the prospect of breakdown and crisis and collapse, uh, There's there, people are kind of excited about that happening. You know, it's not only dread. So anyway, that's a little piece of how I make sense of the world right now.
0: Yeah. And um, I know this is, and I want to maybe ask you a bit more about uh, if we could articulate some of what is breaking down or the old story and what might be emerging. But do you, I know you can't really answer this question, but do you have a sense of uh, where we're at in that in that point, you know. Like, I know some people I've heard. Nobody really knows, of course, but saying the next thirty years could be uh, a period of transition. Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, different people are at different points in this. For some people, the the good old normal is still just fine. You know, they've got their their solid career, their job. They their investments are doing well. You know, they. Their their retirement fund is has got plenty of money, they're healthy. When they get sick, they go to the doctor and the doctor fixes them. And basically the system is working. That cohort is getting smaller and smaller. More and more people in various ways uh, are becoming alienated from normal. They no longer feel at home in it, even if it is superficially working. And for many, it is not working. They are chronically ill. They're addicted. They're depressed. Or they're uh, facing economic hardship. So, So there are still those who have not entered yet what I call the space between stories. It's not even on the horizon. Then there are those who can see it coming. Then there are those who are in the midst of it. And then there are those who are already on the other side of it. They've gone through the breakdown personally. They've gone through the transition zone. And it might not be a sudden breakdown, a singular event that that engulfs their entire life. Could be a series of crises that that get worse and worse and, and progressively dislodge them from who they were and how they had lived and what they saw as real and possible and important in life. It could, It doesn't have to be one event. For society as a whole, it is also like that. We are already in the midst of of a kind of collapse. It doesn't have to be one event that you forever after mark in the history books, is that's when the collapse happened.
0: Yeah. Actually, uh, you know, as soon as we're here, like I do, because I... It resonates with me deeply what we're talking about, and I probably imagine, like you said, that cohort is getting smaller and smaller of people who, who, haven't been impacted in this way. Actually, makes me want to ask you about, um, you know, how we might move through that process. You know, I don't, I don't want to say more easily. I'm not quite sure what the word is I'm looking for. Is it more skillfully, but you know, with, with greater grace, perhaps, and kinship? Do you have a sense of what aids us or supports us in that journey?
1: Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, to
2: hear how you kind of checked yourself there. Um,
1: even, you know, not quite knowing what the question is, that's actually a very good start to realize that this is such new territory that I don't even know what question to ask because it's not really a how-to question. Right, right. It is um there is uh, as the breakdown unraveling letting go happens the the chinks in the armor that are revealed let in new information and and as the new information comes in the old security that was provided by that armor becomes less important and it falls apart more and more light comes in, more information comes in. One of those pieces of information is simply that this is a normal process. This is how big changes happen. They happen through loss. They happen through, through breakdown. And, and not only that the new whatever is on the other side of it does not necessarily come immediately. So even to know,
2: I'm not going through this alone. And
1: and there is something on the other side of it. And this is how birth happens. Just knowing that can be helpful. Maybe then you panic less. But, you know, even that sense of panic and even that sense of resisting the inevitable, that that part of the process, I mean, that that is also, for many people, a necessary part of the process. You cling on as tight as you can for as long as you can. And finally, when you let go, it's because you cannot hold on any longer. And it's a genuine letting go. Because sometimes when people know too much about it, then they're, okay, you know, I'm um, um, someone's telling me to surrender. Someone's telling me to let go. And that's, you know, a spiritual teaching. So I'm going to let go, but they haven't really let go. So, you know, there are parts of the process where there is something for you to do. There is a how, and there are parts of the process where you just rely on the instinctive reactions um, of, of your biological Self, your living being, that just reacts the way that 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 you react. You know, you take a a rat and throw it in a tub of water, and it swims, and it and it cl- tries it tries to cling to something like we do. What human beings do, I could say a lot more. Um, I guess one thing also. That is both a piece of advice, but also an observation of what happens as the um, illusion of permanence disintegrates, it puts us in touch with what's real, which is love, which is beauty, which is grief, which is each other, the preciousness of each other. And so you mentioned uh, kinship. That's one of the things that gets revealed as important. And sometimes when the story breaks down, and this is certainly true on the collective level as well, uh, people come together again. And those moments of clarity of what is important, uh, it's important to listen to those. It's important to, to,
2: when that happens, to respond
1: with gratitude. Thank you. I've been put in touch with what is real. The more we receive those experiences with gratitude, the stronger they are uh, implanted in us and the more they guide us so that we don't forget, you know, if you have those moments of intimacy, maybe even with, with a loved one who's dying and You know, that moment where, oh, why didn't I treasure them more when I had the chance when they were still here?
2: Um, And then you forget, you know.
1: How do you not forget? When you receive the grace of being put in touch with the real, how do you not forget?
2: It's not a matter of uh, a promise. It's not a matter of will. It's a matter of gratitude
1: in those moments that you've been given this gift. Yeah.
0: Uh, Just brings to mind um, the sense of enlivening, I think you're speaking to, that I've felt in my own life as I've um, broken down, actually, in in many ways. Um, You know, I, I had a really, really dark period about two years ago where you know, it felt like everything trustable and 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 kind of permanent in the world began to dissolve. And um and yet, you know, and, and it was it was it was hellish, you know, and there seemed to be no way out of it. And yet, um those moments with my daughter, she was three, two, two years old, you know, and I would just be sat with her in tears. Her beauty seemed to shine through even more palpably in the because of what I was going through. And uh, what I like about what you're sharing is this is why I wanted to hear what you wanted to share on the podcast, because, you know, in coaching, so many of the ideas we've inherited about what it is to be human, to be successful and to grow in the world, um, you know, I think are up for grabs in, in, in certain ways. You know, the idea that we can even perhaps um, manage, cultivate our growth, in a kind of and it gives this sense of that we can do it in some kind of neat linear way you know which conforms to a, a collective uh, ideal of what a leader might be and how they might contribute and uh, you know it, so so for me right now a lot of those things are up for grabs you know like uh, and, and being messy and not knowing and truly not knowing and not because not knowing can become one of those clichés and dictums kind of then oh it's good to not know so uh, yeah yes
1: yeah. you know it's 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 not that it's good to not know um it's good to acknowledge that you don't know when you don't know and not to pretend to know when you actually don't know and not to import our uh legacy structures of knowledge in an, a new and unfamiliar situation. Uh, where where we try to force events into a familiar story that is not actually the story anymore. That's what keeps us in delusion. That's um, That's insanity, actually, to insist on seeing the world in one way when that's not actually the way that the world is. It's only through recognizing and accepting our unknowing that we can come to a new knowing. And yeah, I mean, the experience with your daughters is a beautiful example of, wow, I don't know what's going on, but what do I know is that I love this being, that she is radiant, that this is important, that this moment I'm spending with her is important. And of course, we all have, even the most success-oriented business executive coach isn't going to say, you know, your career is more important than your daughter. Um, Like everyone gives lip service. So, you know, quote, what's really important in life. But that knowledge can often um, get detached from, uh, you know, siloed away uh, from one's business advice. So... Yeah, these moments of stepping outside of the old story connect us to a reality that, that can then, um, guide the new story. Uh, we, we have to step out of our story sometimes in order to, because the story is not the reality. So
2: it's like if, if you're, a, um, you know, an actor
1: in, in, uh, a film, you know, or a theater production. Sometimes this happens sometimes to actors. They get so deeply into the role that they lose themselves. And, you know, that's, that happens to, to us in life as well. There's, and there's nothing wrong with getting deeply into your role. But sometimes you got to step out of it in order to stay sane. In fact, it even makes you a better actor, a better, uh, it enables you to carry out your role better when you can step out of it sometimes. Because uh, it affirms our deep knowledge that on some level, this isn't real. And that doesn't mean you're not supposed to take it seriously.
2: But on some level, we know that, that you know, this isn't going to last
1: And that doesn't mean if you're, you know, an actor in a, in a theater or a film that you're going around half playing your role and saying, oh, come on, guys, you know that this is just a stage, right? This is just a set. No, you play it fully. You step into your role fully and you and you do the best job that you can. But on some level, you know that this isn't really who
2: I am. Even humor.
1: And be a way just to momentarily step out. Mm. Like uh, humor is a moment of, yeah, and we're not really taking this seriously. Like you, you, there's a there's a um a comradeship in humor as you're stepping out of the story together and laughing at it, and then you step back in. So humor is uh, a hallmark of sanity. i'm I'm actually launching an online program called the Sanity Project. And this is one of the the one of the things that we explore. Uh, the 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 if if a, there is a society that has lost its sense of humor, you know that they've gone insane. People who are unable to laugh at themselves uh, have gone mad
0: Yeah, yeah. um I think that sounds I mean I can I can. I'm sure in fact I'd like to ask you about why I call it the Sanity Project, but just that writ chimes with me immediately because of yeah, the seeming insanity. Um, the 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 you know, in our times as we're talking about when things are breaking down and and there's this uncertainty, it can feel as if there's a yeah, you know, what what is true anymore? You know, what can what can I orient towards if these things that I trusted and took to be how the world was certainly are uh, they're not there anymore or it doesn't seem true. So how do I orient? Plus, plus then of course, the whole, you know, social media kind of polarization, AI kind of thing that's going on. It mm-hmm. just feels like it amplifies that whole uh, experience. So, Is that, yeah, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I
1: mean, this sense of, this sense of, I have no idea what's going on. I can't trust anything. I mean, this is not going to diminish, uh, you know, in coming times with the ability of AI to generate completely fake uh, pseudo realities, uh, you know, fake images, fake videos, uh, uh, fake voices, um, you know, entire books entire films that were not made by a human being. I mean all, all this you know already even without AI we're starting to be be unable to trust images. Um where is this coming from? Who you know it, it, it's so easy already to fake fake um to make fake news to make you know fake information. Uh and and it's not only that but it's also the way that that um you know, social media echo chambers draw, pe- and not just the social media, but the legacy media as well, through propaganda and the manufacturing of consent and censorship, channel people into these totally separate realities. Like right now in the United States, um, there's this this big thing, the Durham uh, investigation, basically describing how uh, the Russiagate gate. Uh, whatever you want to call it, hoax, was manufactured and abetted by mainstream media, you know, and and this is all coming out. Uh, yet, half the country has never even heard of the Durham investigation, or believes that it confirms that Trump was colluding with Russia, when it actually says the opposite. So it's like, people have uh, separated out into two completely separate realities yet we are still here on the same earth, breathing the same air. We are not actually in two separate realities, but it seems as though we are uh, in our perceptions. And so this, this really started happening um, in, in a, at a new level during the pandemic, the time that you were referring to two years ago. And we saw what happens when people go mad, when sense and meaning start to collapse. There are, there are different different reactions. One reaction is to retreat even further into the old orthodoxy, into a narrower version of normal, which requires that you exclude more and more data points as more and more things come up that contradict that normal. You have to ignore more and more. You have to be less and less in reality, which means you're going insane. Uh, you have to, for example, ignore the contradictions in the authorities' narrative. They tell you, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention the V word, but they tell you that uh, infection stops here. You will not get COVID. You will not transmit COVID if you get the V. And then they tell you, well, actually, you 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 know, could get inf- infected, but you won't transmit. Oh, actually you will transmit, but you won't die. Okay, well, you might die, but, and and you have to accept each time as, as if they know what they're talking about and that, that you know, the medical authorities can be trusted. and And like every time that happens, the mental calisthenics required to maintain consistency grow greater and greater. And you have to use doublethink more and more to to shut out, to to rewrite history, to ignore history. Okay, so that's one way to go insane. Another way, though, is to leapfrog, to pole vault from the old normal to a new story of everything. Uh, that says, okay, they've been lying to us all along, and here's what's really true. And you jump into some conspiracy theory that gives you an explanation for everything that is kind of comforting because it replaces your old explanation for everything. <laughs> and and then these con- then when people jump into the conspiracy theories, and I'm not saying that there are no conspiracies, all right. I'm talking about the overarching conspiracy theory that says. Here's the explanation for everything that's happening. It's all been planned. All right. It's it's it, it's a it's a comforting substitute that once again prevents you from going through that phase of actually, I don't know. So people can join, join a cult as well. Mm-hmm. And then another reaction is nihilism. Uh, nothing makes sense, there, there's there's no explaining things, and just to kind of stop even trying to make sense. And that's a can be a healthy phase, but then people can get also um, trapped in that phase too. So these are the different ways people go insane in times of the breakdown of narratives and myths. And so the Sanity Project is to hold sanity through those times. In in a group process, you know that's how, that's how, that's how we deal as humans when we when when something comes up on the horizon that is unfamiliar, and and you're like, did you see that? This doesn't. I don't understand. Do you understand? Did that really happen? Was that real? That's how we stay sane together.
0: Mm. Yeah. Do. So yeah, I guess there's a few things that bubble up. Like, do you feel there is a way forward in terms of, you know, you mentioned that there's like these two separate groups of people, you know, and 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 that it feels like the times of of collaboration are sparse. You know, like do you feel like there's a there's a movement uh, of people who want to 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 kind of come together in a sense and begin to. Uh, kind of make meaning and find sanity in in new ways. Do you feel there's a way through?
1: Well, certainly, you know, people are getting together in in the echo chambers to make and reinforce meaning with each other. But I'm ta- when I talk about sanity, it's it's actually deeper than that because it recognizes differences of opinion. Uh, sanity is not everybody agreeing with each other or holding the same meaning but it is in part a shared willingness and mutual encouragement to go beneath the stories and to come back in touch with what is real like what you've been talking about with your daughter
0: and yeah i guess we're sorry i might have cut you off there but how do we know what's real like how, how is that for you
1: So for example, um, one thing that I know is, is true beneath our stories, and it can take the form of a story. Like stories are not separate from truth. They are vehicles of truth. So one of them is who you really are is life itself taken human form. Who you really are is a divine being. When people hear that, they feel the ring of truth. And then what about my stories and beliefs and choices and thoughts contradicts what I actually know to be true on a deep level? What ideologies gaslight me into ignoring what I actually know is true, and how do we overcome that gaslighting? So that is one of the one of the core truths that I'm calling sanity. And how do we practice that? Like, like so. I've I've hosted for a couple of years, um, co-hosted I would say with my amazing former wife. Patsy, an online community um, that is based on reverence in communication, kind of as a as an alternative to what you usually see in social media. Uh, but where where the the basic principle is reverence in communication and why reverence? Because reverence is it's actually not the deepest core. Reverence comes as a, uh, as a byproduct of seeing people as sacred beings. Who am I really talking to here? This person whose opinions I disagree with. Why do they have such different opinions than I do about, I don't know, Donald Trump or vaccines or climate change or whatever it is, Is it because they're awful people? Is it because they're stupid and ignorant and immoral and made of lesser stuff than me? (laughs) No, (laughs) it's because they are life itself, doing and saying and thinking what life does in the totality of their circumstances. And if I were in those circumstances, If I had had their childhood and all that they went through, I would be probably thinking and doing the same things. So then what do I do with that? How do I change their circumstances? How do I be part of different circumstances in which they will choose other beliefs and actions? So that that's that's an aspect of of um, that's an aspect of sanity,
0: you know. Yeah, and I, I'm hearing there that, that I'm curious because it reminds me of coaching in a sense that actually uh, two or more people can come together in a relationship which is uh, transformational or life life giving, you know, and that doesn't mean that the two have to agree per se but that there's um yeah there's a way of being in connection in reverence with one another seeing seeing the the the, the humanity and the 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 goodness in each other that allows for a for a, a deeper kind of intimacy together and and transformation and that just feels very different than a lot of what i see mm-hmm. going on right now
1: yeah that um, reverence or that way of, it is a story also. Uh, like, but it's a true story. Uh, the story of, of who you are. When I know that that is true, when I touch the place in myself that knows that you are life, here to do what all life is here to do which is to create more life to to make the world more alive and more beautiful and and to receive life and receive the the joys and delights of this world and be part of this unfolding of beauty when i when i actually am in touch with that true knowledge then you can feel it it be, and i and i see it in you I'm actually able to see it, not as some spiritual ideology, but I see it for real. And when I see it in you, I can call it forth. It becomes an invitation. And that invitation is very powerful. Just as the opposite invitation, if I think you are a selfish scoundrel who uh, seeks to maximize self-interest, and and are untrustworthy. <clears throat> I'm going to call forth those um behaviors in you. Or at least I'm inviting them. You might not accept the invitation. But that invitation, the invitation of how we see people is powerful. Um, I used to tell this story. I haven't told it for quite a few years now, because you know, when I tell a story too much, it gets tired. Um, but maybe I'll I'll tell it now to illustrate this um i knew this uh afghan woman uh who, whose name was sakina who did a lot of work with um uh educating young girls this was during the during you know maybe 10 years ago um and the taliban religious fundamentalists were in charge of things and and they believed girls shouldn't be educated um you know she was active in women's rights you know she was doing work that was dangerous. She would get death threats all the time, death threats that were from people who actually killed people, you know, like serious death threats. But she was unstoppable and fearless. Well, one time she was with her driver, her staff, one or two of her staff and her unarmed bodyguard in a car driving out of her neighborhood And 20 or 30 young men with fundamentalist garb and beards and, you know, Kalashnikov rifles had set up a makeshift roadblock and were pointing guns at the car and said, tell Sakina to get out. And the driver uh, says, you've got the wrong car, you know, she's not here. And they're like, oh, no, we know she's there. We've been watching her. Tell her to get out. Um, and she like walks with a cane, you know, she's like disabled, I believe. I can't remember actually, that might not be true, but she's, you know, in her 50s or whatever, kind of a portly woman. She gets out of the car, slams the door, marches right up to them and starts talking. And the people in the car think that they're about to get killed or that she's going about to be abducted or something. But no, the conversation goes on. 10, 20, 30 minutes, she's talking to them. And finally, she comes back, gets in the car, and says, okay, we can go now. And they're like, what what just happened? Well, it turns out that the young men, you know, with the rifles, have decided that they want to be educated, too, just like the girls. And they've decided to meet her outside a certain mosque, you know, and and to start their education. And and, years later, many of those young men had become educators themselves. And the reason that it happened was that even when there was a literal gun to her face, she refused to believe that that's what those young men were. She refused to accept the offer of these are violent extremists who hate women and so on and so forth. No, her seeing of them, which was indomitable, was this is a beautiful young man who aspires to better himself, who wants to learn. And her seeing was so powerful that their identity, their ideology, melted away before it imagine if all of us wielded this power it's the power of invitation it's the power of the stories that we hold of each other it is a world transforming power when it is aligned especially with what is true of the human being
0: yeah that's that's magical you know and that story uh, i can feel the transmission of the story on me because it, it 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 brings a sense of abundance and 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 possibility and joy uh and, and, you know in times that feel that they can be quite despairing and 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 in a way um you know speaks to me of perhaps perhaps the the changes of the stories that we're going through in terms of you, you know like the story of um of separation of, of Cartesian mechanism, mechanistic kind of thinking reductionism. And and I think um, how we've privileged the kind of rational scientific mind, which likes to break things down in parts and see things as problems. And I just see how that's infiltrated the education system and how we often see ourselves as, as projects, like a problem to be solved. You know, uh, if I just, um, sort this part of me out and do this and that, then I'll be okay. You know, and it comes from this sense of scarcity and there's something wrong with this. And what you're describing feels fundamentally different. And, and, and actually, and I'm curious about what you think about this. It seems to open up a kind of almost, um, I don't know what to call it, like exponential or, or like nonlinear change possibility, you know, that, that, um, but, Yeah, like you said, imagine if we could be in the world and see each other in that way. What what could become possible? So I don't know if there's a direct question in there, but I'll just see see what comes out. Right now, society. Um, are you are you in the UK? Where where are you located? I, I'm from the UK, but I live in Amsterdam. Yeah. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. So, you know, maybe it's not as serious in in you know the Netherlands and Europe but but I know the UK and especially here uh, the biggest problem facing society is our division and our polarization and that goes to to hark back to what I was saying earlier it's not just a difference of opinion it's the way that we see each other it's the way that we explain to ourselves these differences of opinion where where it's we've turned against each other we do not hold the story of the divinity and the beauty of each other but quite the opposite we diagnose the problem as all of those horrible people out there and if only we could overcome them then things would be okay so the the bulk of society now is holding a story that that does not invite others into into agreement or into healing, into coherency. But they're holding a story that that progress will only come through a victory in a war against each other. If only we could vanquish the liberals you know or the conservatives the white supremacists the the like whatever label that we're putting on the bad people then the problem would be solved but that attitude shared by both sides of the other people the other side is morally and intellectually inferior to me and they are inexcusable and the tactics that go along with that to try to Uh, incite as much rage and indignation toward those horrible people on the other side. That is destroying our society. We are literally inviting people every day into being less than what they really are. Because actually, (laughs) none of our problems are actually hard to solve. Technically, Hmm. you know, I mean, poverty. We we waste enough food and shelter and everything to 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 take take care of everybody. In in my country, uh, I think there's about half a million homeless people, and there are something like seventeen million vacant housing units.
0: That's madness. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, actually, I feel a, like a lot of grief. Uh, I mean, of course, it's actually, in a way, hopeful. What you say, you know, in in one sense, but, um, you know, sometimes I just feel a lot of grief. You know, like where, where is, where is this going to come from, and, um you know that's why that's why community's been important for me and why yeah connecting with people like you is important and i am you know i mean so in one the question i have and in one sense my my uh, one of my practices has been uh to to hold this grief you know to um to just, just give it its place and actually to feel how the grief tenderizes my heart in a way and i think in a way that we were talking about especially at the beginning of our conversation where it allows for a, a level of connection with truth and reality that wasn't possible before um but I, I guess like as we you know we've got maybe just a bit less than 10 minutes like i just would love to ask you like what are, what are you practicing in these times that that supports you to give your, play your music in these times. Um, I, I Just one reference I'll make is I watched the video the next five years, which I really recommend people watch as well. Uh, you talked about um, a system of causality that you're learning. I think you were talking about morphogenesis um, and how you were practicing that and, it, you know, working with embodying it. So that could be one thing you might speak about, but I don't know where you might take us.
1: I'll start with grief, I think. That's another aspect of what I'm calling sanity. Uh, Because grief is the physical, like the emotional, spiritual, every level, process of integrating an important truth, which is loss. As Francis Weller says, everything you love, you will lose. And when we pretend otherwise, when we have lost something but pretend on some level that we haven't lost it then and then therefore keep grief away then we go insane because we're pretending something that isn't true when when we allow grief this recognition that something precious has been lost then we're better able to treat what we still have as precious. If you don't feel grief for for the loss of the precious loved ones, then what's going to make you treat the ones that are still here as precious? that information so you, you mentioned morphic like morphic resonance morphogenesis um there's a link between the the uh, orientation and the information that comes through grief and then the choices that come from that which to the mind which is steeped in uh, Newtonian causality that that says the world changes through applying a force to it and that therefore the bigger the force you can apply, the more powerful you are, the bigger a change agent you are, That um, that contradicts a lot of what we do when we are steeped in the preciousness of each other. Where, you know, you might have a choice to Spend some time reading picture books to your daughter, or maybe spend less time on that and more time uh, growing your audience. The Newtonian mind says you'll have a much bigger impact on the world growing your audience. Because do the math, you're going to reach way more people, and your daughter is just one person. And okay, yeah, she'll grow up and maybe she'll affect many people. What if the choice is between not your daughter, but but your grandmother, you know, or some aging parent? I mean, there's there are people who spend years and years taking care of old people and they die anyway. What good does that do? Well, there's another causal principle here at work that does not contradict what the... Heart will have us do when it is in touch with reality through the process of integration of what is important through grief and celebration. Um, the, the, there, there, there's another principle of causality that is aligned, aligned with what the heart knows. And one way to describe that principle of causality is as morphic resonance, which is the principle that Anything that happens in one place becomes a template for that to happen everywhere else. So my choice of, of in this moment, I will um, be present with my daughter. You're creating a morphic field of being present with someone you love and treating that as important, that, the, and and as the more the more we anchor that choice into the world the more it happens everywhere we shift reality into alignment with that so yeah that's like one of the links really it's about um because our story our mythology of change here's how things change is breaking down um we have an opportunity to listen to another guidance, which is a physical, biological guidance, the guidance of the heart. And that does not have to be in contradiction to the mind. It's only in contradiction to the story that we inherited, the story of success, the story of, of you know being an impact in the world. But we are learning now, as that story breaks down, as all of the things we tried to do to change the world collectively have made things worse and worse and worse, we're letting go of that mythology that we were going to create utopia through reason and, and the precise application of force that we call science and technology. We're letting go of that. And we're like, oh, maybe there's another way to navigate. Maybe that we have ignored key aspects of reality and pushed it into the margins. This has happened in science, it's happened in medicine, it's happened in politics, it's happened all over the place. What have we pushed, what have we exiled, exiled from reality that now it's time to bring back in?
0: Yeah. As you share that, what speaks speaks to me is very practical because it takes us out of, um, you know, uh, some of these inherited ideas of how we should be be successful, have impact, and it brings us in touch with reality in this kind of more immediate sense of my heart and how I feel called to um, contribute in this moment, you know, and 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 it kind of, yeah, like you said, rem- removes that any sense of. Um, Oh, in this moment, I sh- shouldn't be with my daughter. Uh, I should grow my audience. No, actually, in this moment, I feel called to share my love with my daughter and read her that book. And and if we could all begin to start to operate in that way, I think a miracle could occur, you know, because it's very practical in that sense. Um, yeah, I could ask many more questions. I mean, like, you know, what have we exiled that we need to bring in? Um, but maybe actually, um, just one final thing. Uh, just a short invitation is, you know, two two things. I mean, is there anything you want to say to um, to bring this conversation to a close to people listening? That feels to you like it would be, you know, uh, an appropriate conclusion um, or <laughs> ending. Those words don't fit. But um, and then, you know, of course, if you want to direct us to where uh, to your work as well, uh, to anything like your website.
1: Um, yeah, you know, in, in this time where, where how-tos, how questions don't always serve, I, I would say, especially with regard to the things that we've talked about here, uh, trust trust whatever truth or information that you've received to act on you what i was saying before you know the principle of gratitude um gratitude is actually the feeling of fully receiving something and when whether it's from me or from any source you know um to 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 to, you know a lot of my work is about gift giving and receiving um and to be, yeah, thank you, wherever this has come from, thank you. That thank you already starts a process in motion where the knowledge becomes useful. So I'll just offer that. And to say um, probably the best, I have a website, but also I I write on Substack a lot, uh, which would be, you can put the links in the description if you search me, you know, you'll find it. So, yeah.
0: Thank you, Charles. Uh, Really, really appreciate our time together today. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah. Thank you.
0: Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. Just a heads up again. If you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com.